You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. And today on the show, I am joined by a good friend of mine, author Ben Aldridge. Ben is the author of the book, How to Be Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable. And Ben was on the show last year, but I wanted to bring him back to talk all things philosophy. I know Ben is a student of Stoic philosophy and an avid reader of philosophy in general. So I wanted to get Ben on the show to have a chat about philosophy and why he thinks it is the ultimate self-help tool. So in this episode, we talk about Stoic philosophy, how to use it, practical Stoicism, a little bit on Buddhist philosophy and what you can get out of that without being religious in any way. And it was just an amazing chat. And in the spirit of Ben's book, um, in terms of being uncomfortable, me and Ben recorded this episode at 5 a.m. on a Friday morning. And so I thought, what's more uncomfortable than trying to have an hour-long conversation on philosophy at 5 o'clock in the morning? (laughs) So we're in the, the right spirit of the episode and so you may hear some groggy voices, some some deeper tones, and a bit more of a relaxed feel in this episode due to the time of recording. But I hope you enjoy it anyway, and welcome Ben back to the show. So this is the Freedom Pack podcast featuring Ben Aldridge. I'm joined on the show today by my very good friend and author, of this incredible book, Ben Aldridge. Um, Ben has been on the show before, but this is the first time via video. The first time was audio only because we had some problems. So it's nice to uh, nice to see you on the other side of the camera, Ben. Well, it's great to be here. And thanks again for asking me to come back. Amazing. So a lot of the stuff we didn't get to talk about last time, um, your love of philosophy and what the book is sort of built around more than anything. And in the beginning of the book, you describe philosophy as the ultimate self-help and mind training tool there is. Why do you think philosophy is such a powerful tool? And what would you say to those people that sort of criticize philosophy for just being all questions and not not many answers? (laughs) Well, I think it's a great question. I think there's two parts to that. Firstly, I think a lot of philosophy is based on logic and reasoning. And we can see that a lot of modern therapies are actually based on ancient philosophy. So, for instance, CBT and REBT, these types of therapies are based on Stoicism, ancient Greek philosophy. And all of this is that kind of continuation of logic and reasoning. And I think that's what's so appealing about philosophy. For me, I think it's just leaning into that has been particularly helpful. And for those for those people who think that philosophy is only academic, then I would suggest looking at different types of philosophy because obviously you've got you know political philosophy and there's lots of different conceptual ideas within philosophy that you can you know, can be very academic but I think the practical philosophy is where it's at well it's the kind of philosophy that I really enjoy 
so that's why i'm into stoicism so much and and actually elements of buddhism are incredibly practical a lot of western philosophy as well uh, sorry eastern philosophy um is is fantastic for for that taoism and um buddhism zen i'm particularly interested in so i think a lot of the ideas from these philosophies can be very practical and we can use them in our lives so that's why i think it's uh, the ultimate self-help tool and because a lot of the ideas that we talk about in self-help have basically just stolen these ancient ideas and just revamped them yeah definitely man and what i love about philosophy is it's just full of uh, of timeless truths um things that have, have stood the test of time that were relevant now as they were you know all those years ago um so that's my that's why i love philosophy more than more than most things uh subjects in self-help so who are some of your favorite philosophers to read then um well i mean at the moment i've got marcus aurelius's meditations on the go i mean i say that i always have that on the go really it's one of those books that you can reread multiple times it's it's timeless the fact that it was written two thousand years ago but a lot of these ideas are so relevant and the way that he was thinking is just fantastic very clear in a position where he was the roman emperor for 20 years and i mean you can imagine at that time probably he was the most powerful man on the planet and how easily corruptible you could be in a position like that and he used stoicism to guide him and it's just amazing what that did for him and how he navigated so many crazy um crazy setbacks and all these different things they had you know the antonine plague um and loads of wars and loads of very intense situations so um yeah it's really really interesting so that that one is on the go at the moment i, I tend to read a lot of books on zen buddhism as well i really like alan watts i don't know if you've read any of his yeah, stuff but love alan watts. the way that he talks about zen is just brilliant he, he really puts it into into uh, into perspective and he brings a a really nice uh, angle on things so yeah that this uh, there's there's always something something on the go you mentioned that obviously a lot of you know philosophy just gets sort of repackaged today in new books but a lot of authors are, are sort of basing their books around understanding philosophy in the modern world uh, stoicism a big one i think of people like you know ryan holiday who's sort of made a career out of explaining um these old ideas in a, in a modern modern way and to an extent your your book does that as well um in what way was this book uh born out of that stoic philosophy what are the the key messages from that philosophy that are embedded into this book and the premise behind it so i think i lightly touch on stoicism and how it really helped me mm. um and i, I kind of talk about the element of control that's like i call it the the stoics golden rule and it's basically that we can't control a lot of things that happen to us, but we can control how we respond to those external events. And that's really the key for me that's been so helpful, um, especially dealing with anxiety, which is really the main reason why I wrote the book in the first place. And uh, I, I found that that idea has been absolutely fantastic. It, being able to use that whenever you face a setback, just kind of running through the list of things you can control and the things you can't control. And you'll notice that actually there's so many things that are outside of your control so focusing on all of those things can be not a waste of time but it's just it's not going to help you you can often make the situation worse by thinking about all the things that you can't control so it's it's leaning into what you can control which is how you are 
managing the situation? How are you responding to it? Can you stay in control of your mind? And that that is so interesting for me because, yeah, as I said, when I was so anxious, I had no control over my reaction to anything. You know, the a minor setback would send me into like a, a death spiral. I'd get an absolute flap about everything. So that's why I think I was so drawn to stoicism because it's this element of control that you have over your mind or try at least trying to or working towards that so that you choose your response to what happens well the book is called how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable um we're certainly uh, embracing that today um you know but as people may be able to tell from my lighting or the sort of lower tone of voice we're speaking in it is five o'clock in the morning currently um so to an extent we are we are getting uncomfortable what so explain to me and the, and the guys listening this premise between you know going out of your way in this book with these challenges to to put yourself in uncomfortable positions and and why that is is ultimately going to benefit you well i think that leaving our comfort zones is such a great way to experience personal growth so in my book i talk about all of these different things that i started doing as a way to build more of a resilient mindset because i was in an anxious space i needed to find a way of building confidence and I read about all these different ideas and the one that really resonated with me as well was this uh, concept of stepping outside your comfort zone. Again, there's a, there's a, um, an influence of stoicism there because of the voluntary discomfort is a, is a thing that they talk about where they would deliberately do something difficult or uncomfortable so that they would uh, get used to that and be more prepared for future adversity. So I kind of took that idea and, and played around with it and started doing all of these crazy challenges and actually that made a huge difference as soon as you start seeing that you can do things you can achieve things that you couldn't that we you couldn't envision yourself doing in the past it's uh, it's amazing for your confidence and especially when you're in a really bad place mentally i think building up confidence by doing difficult challenges and difficult things it compounds over time and then it just brings a bit of color into your life. You know, I love the fact that we're doing this podcast ridiculously early on a Friday morning. It just, uh, it brings a nice little bit of spice to the day. And uh, I think that's one of the things that stepping outside of your comfort zone can do. It can bring color into your life and it can take you to places that you didn't think you would be able to go. I mean, I think you guys, when you set up the podcast, it must be a bit like that for you because you've started something and look where it's taken you. It's an incredible journey. Yeah, definitely, man. It is. And um, yeah, I, that's what I love about the book. I love how, how, you know, relatable it is. And you can, we take, I definitely reflect on that myself. And, you know, these, these challenges you set out in the book, um, they, they go from, you know, one extreme to the other, some are at the, the top end of the scale. I mean, sleeping outside, things like that, but then there's little ones you can do, you know, the cold showers, the the Rubik's Cube, and that's one I've actually been, since we last spoke, I've been practicing my Rubik's Cube, and I can do it now, and um, I'm just trying to get the speed down at the moment, so that was, because I think when you originally sent the book, and I give it to uh, a listener, um, you included a tiny little Rubik's Cube in the package, <laughs> yeah. so I, was, I remember I was there for days with this little Rubik's Cube trying it out, <clears throat> and I, I couldn't do it. And then I eventually, um, I bought, I bought the, the, the full size Rubik's cube and, you know, I sat there trying to work it out and you, it's so difficult when you get into all the algorithms and you learn how to, 
to move the pieces around and yeah man it is a it is a it is quite a mental challenge but when you actually when you can do it if even though it's such a little thing you get so proud of it like I always tell people I can solve a Rubik's cube now and they're always really <laughs> impressed by it, even though it's such a little thing. Um, but yeah, that was just one of the little challenges. There's 40, 43 you include in the book. What challenges in this book that you completed had a had the biggest effect on you when you finished them? What made you feel, you know, really good after completing the challenge? Um, I think they lots of different ones created different feelings for me Mm. i think the ones where i completely broke through like a a mental barrier those are the ones that really stuck with me i think as you're saying the rubik's cube is perfect because we have this perception that the rubik's cube is really hard to do but actually it just takes a little bit of time it is Mm. difficult yeah it it takes a bit of time but it's not impossible it's often it's used as like a symbol of someone who's like an academic genius but actually that's not that's not the reality of it i mean the thing is that this is the ultimate situation if you go around to someone's house or you just happen to be out and about and there's an unsolved rubik's cube and if you can solve it then that's it you know you are from that point on you're the man yeah (laughs) um but it's that perception about you know challenge so i think that's what was great about the rubik's cube because actually doing that showed me that it's possible the other one that was huge was uh, running a marathon. My first marathon, uh, again, it was a real mental barrier, thinking, actually, yeah, can I do this? Am I capable enough to, to run this distance? So completing that, I was just on a high for like four days afterwards. It's just, uh, it was amazing. All the other marathons that I've done since then, I've never got the same feeling as that first one, yeah. which is just that incredible sense of achievement. Uh, and also it's that perception, you know, breaking that barrier. Uh, so that's that was um particularly good the marathon i think with um stoicism we mentioned some of the authors there um and yourself these these books are becoming sort of not like a second wave of interest in the subject but they're just becoming so popular today um you see books on stoicism coming into the mainstream quite you know quite often now um they seem to be coming out all the time so where do you think this sort of new resurgence and, and interest in stoicism in the modern life has come from? Why do you think that stoicism is so so attractive, especially to young people? I think it's uh, I think it's so popular and connecting with so many people because it's well, firstly, a lot of the ideas are so practical and it's very secular. <clears throat> you don't have to believe in anything else. You can just look at the rules and the ideas and test them out and they work incredibly well you don't have to believe in anything uh, and all of the things that they talk about uh, these ideas are testable so that's that's why I think it's really appealing and also life is hard you know times are tough so I think having a philosophy of life can be incredibly helpful you know things just look at the last couple of years They've been very difficult. A lot of people who didn't realize that they had mental health issues have suddenly started experiencing them. And if you don't have any philosophy of life in place or any kind of system that's helping you get through very difficult times, you know, it's like playing darts in the dark, isn't it? You know, you just have, have, how do you navigate something difficult unless you have some kind of system or ideas that can help you through those difficulties? And I think that's what's 
so appealing about stoicism and i think a lot of people like you know tim ferris talking about it a lot has really helped to give it this sort of silicon valley entrepreneur kind of vibe uh so i think people connect to that as well but then at the end of the day i think it wouldn't have these ideas wouldn't have lasted for so long if there wasn't value in at least some of what they're talking about so i think that, yeah there's a lot of things going on with it do we know much about the the origins of stoicism and what its original original intention was yeah so i mean unfortunately a lot of the original 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 like the founder zeno <laughs> um and chrysippus and cleanthes some of the other heads of stoicism all of their books have been lost in time which is a real shame because we didn't get that you know the only the only thing we know is what other people have written about them yeah uh, so we've lost a lot of that original content but we can kind of you know we get a sense of what they wanted to achieve with this and it's essentially a system of living a tranquil life the stoics use the word eudaimonia which is uh, basically translated as like tranquility, being undisturbed by difficult emotions and strong emotions. So you basically just, just can handle stuff that happens, um, which is nice. I mean, it's what we all need, really, because you can't live life without facing a setback. It's an inevitability. Um, things go wrong all the time. So mm. I think it's uh, this philosophy works perfectly for handling things that go wrong. Mm-hmm what would you say to those so for me before i started reading any stoicism um i think the first time i probably read it i was maybe 17 18 going into university but before then my sort of perception of what it was to be stoic was just when i think of someone who was stoic i'd think of someone who had no personality they shut themselves off from the rest of the world they you know, they didn't talk, they, they always had a, um, just a blank expression on their face. But when you speak to people who are interested in the subject, like yourself, you realize that, you know, there's a lot of personality there and a, and a, and a lot of, you know, smiles going on. So what, what would you say to people that think um, that, you know, to be stoic means to just shut yourself off from everyone else and the rest of the world? Yeah, I know. It's, it, it's a common misperception, I think, because the word stoic, with a lowercase s is exactly what you said. It's just someone that they stoically got on with whatever they were doing and kind of emotionless and almost, you know, a little bit cold, robotic. Uh, whereas actually Stoicism with a capital S is this ancient Greek philosophy that's incredibly rich and there's so many ideas. And it's, uh, it's not a philosophy about repressing your emotions. It, that's not what the Stoics encourage you to do. They're encouraging you to have systems to deal with strong emotions. And I think what's happened is, you know, people think of the the word stoic with the lowercase s and they kind of lean into that and just assume that the whole philosophy is based on um, that idea. But it's it's not at all. I mean, you can, there's obviously ties, but the Stoics wanted us to be able to handle our difficult emotions and manage things. They didn't say that we should repress our emotions. Obviously that's not a good idea, repression can lead to some terrible things so it's, it's kind of you know dealing with difficult emotions and powerful feelings is something that the stoics talk about a lot and they've got strategies and things and managing them so 
yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, we're human. We're all going to have emotions. We can't get rid of that, but it's what, what do we do when they, they crop up? And the Stoics have great advice for all these different things that we're going to encounter. Yeah, the, the sort of golden rule you mentioned in the book um, for Stoicism is the only thing you have control over is how you respond uh, to external events. And I think it was Seneca that said something about like the, the, the best approach to anger is to just, you know, remove yourself from the situation and, you know, think clearly about it and, you know, just remove yourself from the situation. And then, you you know, before and, and have like maybe an hour or so to just before you react to anything, because then you react, you know, your reaction, your response is going to be a lot better. Your decision making um, goes down um, the way that you view risk goes down when you're angry, when you're feeling these emotions, you're just a poor decision maker. Um, and so stepping away and just controlling how you, you know, react to these external events. But how do you use that golden rule on the daily? Like how embedded in you is it? Are you the type of guy that's going to get, you know, cut off in traffic and it's just not going to affect you at all? Or do you let it slip in now and again? Uh, I'm a mix. I'm trying. I'm working, you know, I'm working on it. Um, I think the thing is, it's it's good. It, sometimes it's just very natural. Something will happen and I'll just be like, right, okay, what can I control? I'll list all the things and maybe I don't actually have that much control over the situation. So I'll just be like, okay, remember your philosophy, lean into that, focus on what you can control. And that can work really well. And I'd say most of the time it works, but then sometimes I forget it. And obviously it's just this you know, constant cycle of reminding myself of this. And, you know, I'm pretty good at putting it into place, but obviously, you know, we're all human and uh, it sometimes slips. But no, at least just knowing that there's a strategy that works is is very helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the traffic thing is a perfect example because trying to stay cool in the traffic jam, trying to keep in control is uh, it's a very, very good stoic test, you know. Um, especially if you're driving in London where there's just the traffic can be insane sure. uh, and, pe- and people can just be people can drive in a very aggressive way so it's, it's almost like you get to test out stoicism every day you go for a drive in London which is <laughs> I guess it's kind of good you need to you need to what is it the sharp and the sword you know you keep doing things that are, are tough so yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great it's a great concept and I, I think you know part most of the time it's automatic but then sometimes I'll have to you know, put it into place. You know, if there's a big problem that I'm facing, I will actually get my journal out and I will write down, physically write down all the things I can and can't control. And that mm. exercise is really good because there's just something, I mean, there's something cathartic about using a journal anyway, but when you're just deliberate with this exercise, it's very powerful. Yeah, I mean, Seneca never never drove home during rush hour um, from work, <laughs> did he? Um, but right. you, he would have, he would have struggled. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, you mentioned journaling there. That's something that goes hand in hand with stoicism. Is this idea of of journaling? Obviously, that that gave birth to to, to Marcus's meditations. Um, but what in, like you mentioned a little bit there, but I wonder if we can go in depth. What does journaling? what do you get out of it? What does it do for you personally? Because I think a lot of people, you know, try their hand at journaling. It is tough to, to, to form a habit with journaling. You know, you're good for like two or three days mostly. And then all of a sudden you forget you're behind. You don't keep up with it, but what do you get from that habit of journaling? What does it do for you? Yeah, it's, it's really good. It, I, I get a lot out of it. 
Uh, I'm not writing my memoirs every night. I'm <laughs> just being quite concise. And I think yeah. that's the that's the trick to keeping it going. Mm. Um, the best thing about it, actually, which is kind of interesting, is that you can zoom back or zoom out and actually get a broader picture of what your life looks like over a couple of months. And that's that's really, really cool. Looking at repeating themes mm. uh, and seeing things that you wouldn't necessarily see you know, day to day. But when you zoom back and you look at what what patterns and themes have I seen over the last three months, it's very hard to to actually see see them in the moment or even week by week. But when you zoom back and you flick through, so what I'll do is I'll I'll try and you know periodically review my journal and look back over like two or three months and see if I can find these themes and these threads. Uh, and these are often indicators of areas that I'll need to focus on in the future and and things that you know that might trigger me reading a specific book um and that, that's really the purpose the main purpose for me is to kind of build more self-awareness and it's a great way to kind of close the day i like taking i, I kind of i do a little bit of a gratitude thing so i write all the uh the nice stuff that happened you know but it doesn't have to be like oh you know, got a book deal or anything crazy like yeah. that it can be i got a really good parking space today <laughs> and uh but that's it you know you look for the small things and that sense of gratitude compounds so i'll do a little bit of gratitude um journaling and then also i'll reflect what lessons have i taken from the day and then what what didn't go so well or what what can i improve and then then when you look back and you see the themes then it's kind of easier to to spot those ideas so with this stoic principles how do you think that maybe the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, would have reacted to something like social media? I know they talk about, you know, distraction and not letting yourself become distracted in the age of social media where, you know, your phone's always calling you. Um, you know, how do you use Stoicism to approach social media? Are you, is this something you're good at or is this something that, you know, you struggle with? Because I know for me at the moment, especially with, you know, working online and, and things like that I'm maybe checking my emails a little bit too too often and finding myself getting distracted and i always think marcus would be shaking his head right now yeah i think it's uh well there's two parts to that i think well firstly how would the stoics handle social media well i actually think a lot of them would use it and i think ryan holiday does a brilliant job of what would a stoic like a you know he's a, essentially like a, a modern stoic role model and he's killing it on social media millions of followers and creating content and helping people to connect with the philosophy so i think in the modern world if you want to spread a message then social media is pretty essential so i think they would use it i don't know if i could see epictetus on tiktok <laughs> i mean you never know you never know. know um and then the second part of the question is like how how would they think about social media obviously it's a great way of channeling a message but also i think it's uh you know they would pay real attention to who they were following um i imagine that a lot of them would follow no one um mm. maybe, maybe they would have a few people that they follow but i think they would be very conscious of that and conscious of how they're spending their time because the perception like perception how we view the world and you know dealing with others is a very important theme within stoicism and you know online can be a bit fiery sometimes and we can see you know we're living in quite a polarized 
um, divided world. Mm -hmm. But then I think it's always been a little bit like that. But I think now with technology, people can air their opinions more freely. So I think learning to deal with other people who have a difference of opinion is incredibly important. And the Stoics can teach us a lot about that as well. Mm. Uh, and again, going back to that golden rule, you know, what you, what you can and can't control. Well, you can't control how other people are going to act online, but, you, you know, you can control your response and how you deal with it. So this is important. And you know what? Things like this should be, should be taught in schools. It's really important. How do you manage social media? Because you can see what effect that's having on a younger generation. You just need to be careful with, um, with how we use it in our lives. And I think, yeah, that's something that if we pay attention to it, we're just disciplined and careful and try mm. not to get sucked into black holes and end up, you know, watching too many crazy videos on YouTube. Because it's just the way that it's set out. Does it, have, you, have you watched The Social Dilemma? I have. It's, it's, yeah. Wow. Amazing. It's scary it's, though. It is definitely is like the way that <clears throat> they talk about how your, your phone is sort of, you know, it, it picks up on trends and it's designed to sort of give you notifications based on, you know, what it thinks is going to make you pick up your phone, what's, what it's going to make you unlock your phone. And then, you know, once they get you to unlock your phone, it's, the, the phone starts throwing things at you purposely to, to hold your attention, you know, and try to stop you from locking it again. It's quite scary, man. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think it's just uh, the first step is being aware of it, isn't it? So mm. it's great that the documentary has done that. Um, I didn't delete my Instagram account after watching it, though. I have <laughs> a few friends who actually deleted Instagram wow. after watching it. Some of them have come back. <laughs> they only lasted for like a couple of months, but I think, uh, you know, it, it's good to be aware of it at least. You know, it happens, but, you know, it's just managing it, being realistic. Well, another thing with um, social media that I think the, the Stoics would, would just hate is that I was watching something the other day, an interview with, um, with a neuroscientist, and he was talking about how social media is, all, is almost, you know, morphing and changing our attention span um obviously years and years ago people could sit down they could you know read a full book in one sitting it was quite a common thing to do you know as technologies come along you know you, you start getting drawn to these youtube videos like you said but even now with something like tiktok where you know you're scrolling through videos and they're just you know quick videos some of them are five to ten seconds long but they can somehow convey a message they can somehow tell a whole story in 10 seconds and you know he was talking about how like now on like something like tiktok if you come across a video on tiktok and it's it's a minute long people think oh, too long scroll to the next one like you know a minute is now seen as a long time to watch a video and a lot of people just can't be bothered to, to hold their attention for a minute they want those 10 15 second you know videos and that's quite scary and you know especially for me who <laughs> who makes long form conversations yeah. and people can't even hold their attention for a minute now these days do you think that that's that's quite a scary problem we're looking at there yeah i i do i do i think um there's always going to be the need for long form though and i think that there will be a lot of people who realize that you can't just you know where do, where do you go from like a five second video mm. i mean how, how can you how can it get much quicker i guess you know like what, what will people look like in the next five years if they just if everything just gets 
you know, shorter and shorter. You can imagine like the social media feed just being just someone just like flashes like a load of images at you. Yeah. That's it. But I think, uh, yeah, I just, you know, we, we've got to be, got to be careful that the more we engage in it, the shorter our attention spans become. I certainly notice it if I've spent a lot of time on social media, it can do that to your mind. So it's just trying to be disciplined with it as well, bringing discipline to the way that we use it. I'm not brilliant at that, I must admit, but I think having some kind of structure for emails as well. You know, some people check their emails once or twice a day, which I can't comprehend, but I know that it's probably the better the better way of doing things. Oh, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's balance, isn't it? Finding the, the right balance with all of this. Oh, absolutely. I think emails is probably where I struggled the most. Like I, I refresh my emails multiple times an hour. I'm really bad for it. But, you know, when you when you get that email come through, it gives you that little dopamine hit. You know, it's a little reward and it just keeps bringing you back for more. It's, it's a tough sort of habit to get out of. Like because you and it, it's all tied in as well. It's also got that little bit of fear of missing out involved. Like, you know, you could be sat down reading and all of a sudden you're thinking what if there's like a really important opportunity that's come up via email right now that i've that i've not got back to and a lot of the time there isn't but you know there's always that chance that you know you could get that that email you've always been waiting for and it just keeps drawing you back yeah it's like the lottery <laughs> yeah it's a tough one um you mentioned at the top about Buddhism and this is really interesting to me because, you know, you said you've got no religious affiliation with, with Buddhism. And, and I, I think that's interesting because a lot of people get put off of, you know, certain ideas, certain, you know, ideologies or philosophies, because, you know, they think you've got to be religious to benefit from them. Um, I, my sort of illusion there was shattered when I spoke to, well, there was a week last year where I spoke to um, two monks in like the space of a week. So Gogo Baldas and Garanga Das. I spoke to them both back to back and, you know, very religious guys in, in, you know, in their own right, obviously. But I got so much value from the conversations and both of them, you know, told me like all these ideas that are part of their religion. They said, you, you don't have to be religious at all to to make these work for you so do you think there seems to be this little little bit of a stigma almost with a lot of you know philosophies where people just get put off because they think you've got to you know sit around in a circle and you know chant to, to this to the heavens to get anything out of them yeah yeah absolutely i think the with philosophy people think it's you know stuffy old folks reading dusty textbooks and religion is like people doing rituals and stuff mm. i think that that's completely wrong you need to look for the messages and the ideas and you can take from all these different sources for people who are more secular towards the way they live their lives i think there's an amazing book i don't know if you've read it called why buddhism is true by robert mm. wright so good it talks about how kind of like a combination of evolutionary science and buddhism and it's just talking about the philosophical buddhism and so the, the core ideas from buddhism that can just translate to how we live uh, our lives today so i think it's just looking for those ideas and trying not to get 
too worried about all the other things if you can extract value from it this is why i'm particularly interested in zen buddhism <clears throat> excuse me uh, zen buddhism is kind of like buddhism stripped back it's very minimal so there's not so oh, there's a bit of ritual but I, I also like the japanese aesthetic but it's very minimal it's kind of the way that it's quite pure it's not it's not too doesn't feel too religious if that makes sense yeah, and they talk about things like death, and they talk about what happens after death. They're just a bit like, well, well, we don't know. <laughs> so, which is nice. I think they embrace the 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 fact that we don't know. We don't have all the answers. I think what can be difficult for me that I find difficult is when people make statements about, "Oh, this is the answer. We have the answers, and this is exactly what happens." Yeah. Um, whereas if we are a little bit open to the fact we don't know. I think that's really important because knowledge is continually changing and evolving. Mm. And I think it's important to, to be open because you never know what idea is going to just completely change your life. That's why I think books can be absolutely amazing. You never know which book you're going to read that's just going to completely change everything for you. And it might not be the first one or the second one, but you just you find one and it just it can have such an impact. And it's the same with these ideas from different philosophies. I think you just find something and you never know what it's going to be. And that's exciting. Uh, so I think there's a lot of value in all of these different ideas. So I think it's just trying to disconnect from the ritualistic side of things. Well, that's, that's certainly how I view things um, when I'm approaching more, I guess, ideas from religion rather than philosophy. Yeah, there's almost a, a little bit of, happenstance or, or fate if you will sometimes with these books because it's not only you know the right book comes along sometimes but it's it's the right book at the right time it just seems yeah, to absolutely. align perfectly with with your life and that's where i you know some of my favorite books i wonder if i read them at a different stage in my life if they would be one of my favorite books um so i think yeah that's that's a one of the beauties of of reading but we mentioned um buddhism that, you, that you've got a golden rule down as our mind is the source of our struggling i wonder if you could just expand on that idea and, and what that means yeah so the fact that our minds cause a lot of problems for us the way we perceive the world is is the issue and this is i mean the interesting thing is a lot of stoicism and buddhism go hand in hand there's some real parallels which is really interesting because you know they were thousands and thousands of miles apart and they, they they have differences but there are a lot of ideas and themes that are really connected and this one in particular like the way that our minds work we have i mean back to this robert wright book there's this um we have an evolutionary disposition to be negative towards almost everything it's kept us alive you know we just have that that sense of oh something might go wrong or something you know it's always that analyzing things in a negative way to prepare us just in case something you know you know it is a giant cat in the, the bushes <laughs> that's about to eat us so it's, it's this negative disposition that's stuck with us we've, we've got the same brains you know our brains haven't changed drastically over the last thousands of years um so it's how we view the world and the buddhists talk about how our minds can cause a lot of problems for us so it's just accepting that and learning to work with it learning to change the way that we view the world 
So the mind is so powerful. Uh, and I guess there's so many different philosophies and ideas that always state this. Um, and that's, that's it really trying to, trying to gain control or not gain control. I guess like at least accept that our minds can cause us problems and then figure out how we can better manage our minds. Another one of those terms that just get sort of tied in with with the religion and we probably miss out on um, enlightenment. How do you view the word enlightenment? No, it's interesting. I think um, it's very, wow, there's so many different opinions on it. And there's like you read someone's account of what they would consider an enlightening enlightenment mm. experience. It's very different from someone else's. I think it's just basically, from what I gather, it's this ability to just be be cool with whatever happens. Like you're in a situation and you're like, oh, this is just living purely in the present moment and just not being like stressed out by absolutely everything. And I think it's not, from what I gather, it's not this like state, you know, you suddenly hit this point. You know, people who study Buddhism oh, I've studied it for long enough and now suddenly, you know, I'm this special enlightened person. I think it's like you can have moments of enlightenment or I guess like all of us, we can have a moment where we live our lives and something just works really well and we, we handle something incredibly well and we just we sort of ride, ride the wave, I guess you could think of it like that. Um, and then we fall off and then it goes wrong. But it's just, you have moments where you're like, oh, that, that was really good. Everything kind of like, came together and i managed that challenge particularly well so i think i think that's i guess how i'm looking at it at the moment but you know my opinion could change um the last two questions i have for you that we ask every guest um the first one we've talked a lot about about your book today and i'm sure it's impacted so many people's lives but what books have had a major impact on on your life so far so um Obviously, meditations by Marcus Aurelius. That was huge. Um, that was a that had a real impact. I absolutely love that book. Um, mindset. I think this was the one that I might have mentioned last time. Maybe, maybe I should try different ones so that they're please, the same please. ones. Um, why don't I go for three that I've read this year? Perfect. Been impactful because otherwise, I, I tend to always go for the same. I, I tend to go for like feel the fear and do it anyway mindset and meditations mm. but i think this year so i read uh the almanac of naval ravikant which is awesome so good that was amazing um i read life 3.0 by max tegmark which is okay. about artificial intelligence and that was just crazy uh so i'm really interested in that yeah and um I just finished Happy Sexy Millionaire. And I thought that was great. Oh, wow. Really, really good. Really interesting um, approach to it, actually some nice stoic philosophy in there as well. Really? That's good. Like proper like self-help kind of um, straight down the line, but really, really good. Really well written. Like a really short read. Mm. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Three three good recommendations there. And, and I, I like the way you switched it up this time. Um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you on the show many, many, many more times um, before this show reaches its end. So hopefully you can bring a different answer every time and oh, yeah, uh, keep us updated on your reading. Um, the last question I have for you, 
so we ask every guest and you know this is probably a harder question for you know the 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 guests that are interested in philosophy because it's almost the probably the question when it comes to philosophy but to make it personal to yourself so it could be could be family it could be friends it could be you know your, your, your book it could be anything but for ben aldridge right now what makes a life worth living what makes a life worth living that's a very difficult question isn't it i think living with purpose mm. and bringing value to what you do and everyone that you encounter so i think doing things that are important to you and trying to figure out where you want your life to go it's, it can be an exciting journey but it, it can be difficult but i think a life worth living is a, a life where you try different things that you explore and you i don't mean like going like explore the jungle necessarily i mean just like explore knowledge and explore the incredible things that humanity have created and just see what's out there and and then connect with something that you like and then try and spend as much time doing that as possible awesome i love that man so let's let these people know where they can find you i know you are at at do things that challenge you on instagram um the book how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable 43 weird and wonderful ways to build a strong resilient mindset let everyone know where they can where they can find the book where they can find more from yourself and connect with you yeah so the best place is probably my website benaldridge.com uh, i've got a newsletter that goes out once a month and you can find my book on amazon and well basically most like book bookshop websites or some bookshops will stock it so um but yeah if you go to the website there's loads of links and stuff for, for that i'm on twitter as well i am ben aldridge <laughs> that's the handle um so yeah those, those are the main places i'd say come and come and say hi i really like um getting messages from random people uh it's, it's always fun hearing from readers and and from people who follow on social media i got a brilliant message the other day i got this uh, picture from someone and I got the picture first before I got the message with the context. It's just a guy in his speedos. <laughs> and I was like, oh my Lovely. God, what is this? <laughs> and then, then it's like, oh, he's just done one of my challenges. Oh, nice. Uh, and that's right. So he's, uh, he's decided to wear something that will make him feel embarrassed. Wow. So he's put some speedos on and he's gone for a run through town. <laughs> So he just texted me, he just sent me this picture afterwards. I was like, wow, oh, he's living it. He's living it. I love that he's actually done that. Um, so yeah, it's great. So yeah, come and say hi. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I encourage people to try some of the challenges, share them out, see if you can get through all 43. Um, Ben, it was a it was a pleasure to have you on. Obviously, the first time we did this, as we mentioned, um, it was audio only. So I'm I'm glad to be able to bring, you know, the video format this time. I know there's a there's a lot of people that uh, that listen to the show, you know, exclusively on YouTube. So it's nice to to bring you um, to you know to our audience on YouTube as well, and let them know about this book and this this awesome concept you've got going on. So it's a pleasure to have you on for a second time. I hope there's there's many many more times we get to do this. Oh, absolutely! Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be able to to come and chat to you. I really appreciate the invite. So thank you so much. I want to thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. I have been your host for today, Lewis, 
and I hope you'll continue to join us every Monday and Friday for a brand new episode of the Freedom Pack podcast. And remember that all these podcasts, as long as clips, highlights, best bits, are all uploaded in video format over at youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pack. I would seriously appreciate it if you could subscribe to us over on YouTube. That is the best way you can support the show and it would mean a lot to me personally. So I hope to see you over on YouTube as well. Thank you so much. This has been the Freedom Pack Podcast.